Welcome into another edition of The Front Office. I'm Tony Lombardi with Russell Street Report. The Front Office is brought to you by Royal Farms. Royal Farms is now featuring 12 pieces of their world-famous chicken for just $20. Royal Farms chicken, real fresh, never frozen. Joining me as he regularly does on The Front Office is RSR's capologist, Brian McFarlane. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Good, Tony. How are you this morning? I'm good, thanks. Hey, I have to tell you that I've told Ruthie, and for those listening, my wife, Ruthie, that I think I've said Lamar's name thousands of times more than I've said hers in 2023 so far. And unfortunately, I don't think that's going to end anytime soon. No, I think the same, same here. Um, but and yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I have this terrible feeling we're going to be talking about the same thing this time next year, too. Yeah, and we'll get to that because I, I share that feeling, and hopefully we're both wrong, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Sure. <laughs> but right now, the, the cap compliance, the teams had to be in cap compliance yesterday, March 15th at 4 p.m. Where do the Ravens currently sit with their cap situation? Yeah, so we uh, got information on Justice Hill's deal, um, the two-year $4.51 million deal. Um, it only creates a cap number this year of 1.15 million. So it's uh, very, it's a, it's probably set up as a one-year deal. If, if they want to get out of, uh, from under it um, next year, his cap number could be about 3 million. So if they want to get out from under it, there's only about 500,000 in dead money. So, um, so it's really structured. I mean, I know a lot of people were kind of surprised. Uh, by his signing and of course that do- it doesn't affect them from signing anybody else or Lamar or anything like that um, so that takes them down to about 3.7 million um, in cap space they've obviously uh, they re-signed Hill they put the restricted free agent tender on Tyler Huntley that's about that's about 2.6 million and then uh, they signed uh, Lamar's cousin Trayvon Mullen uh, his deal is a, a minimum deal, so it counts a little over a million. And again, all of those get offset by uh, roughly seven hundred thousand because under the rule of fifty-one, when somebody um, when somebody comes off, when they go on onto the top fifty-one, so you know some of those at at most, you know, um, uh, Hill's deal just adds eight hundred thousand to the cap. Uh, Mullen just uh, about two hundred fifty. Um, and obviously the Huntley's is bigger, but right now they, you know, they've got two quarterbacks in limbo, I guess we can say. Yeah. So the, the Hill signing to me, I, I know that when agents put out this information for people to share on social media, that the agents are always quick to put out the biggest figures that they can, because it looks favorably from a public perception. It looks favorably on the, the EAD agent as well as the player, but when you net it out to where it's $800,000 net for a guy like Justice Hill, you know, so what is a, a rookie if they, if they drafted another Tyler Batty in 2023, the impact on the cap isn't much different than Justice Hill. And, and here's a guy who has shown that he can be a good player in pass protection, a good receiver out of the backfield, showed a bit of a burst coming off an Achilles injury. So, I think that that signing has some value, Brian. Yeah, and obviously there's the special teams value for sure as well. And I think it's interesting because, you know, obviously there must not have been a whole lot of market for him out there um, because he is coming back to be, you know, the third in line. Um, So um, I thought that was a little interesting, but, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they talk to him and maybe there's they envision, you know, him, you know, a, a different, a little bit of a different role in, in, you know, the new offense, whatever, whatever that will, will entail. So um, I kind of thought he'd be a guy that would look around a little longer and see, but um, Hey, I mean, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with bringing him back. He, he showed last year, the burst that we were expecting the first two years. And I, well, obviously he was injured uh, the one year. So, um, so yeah, so I, I don't, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, even if, you know, even if he doesn't make the team this year, it's not the end of the world either from a cap perspective. And the other thing, too, with Hill, you mentioned his special teams capabilities. He's filled in for Devin Duvernay as a kick returner towards the end of the season, did a pretty decent job. And I know that Devin Duvernay is one of those guys on the bubble right now as far as the cap is concerned that maybe that $4.5 million cap figure looks a bit big given his productivity 
Yeah, for sure. And and it could also, I mean, so you could look at it two different ways. Um, if they envision Duvernay having a bigger role in the offense, then you're not going to, you know, you generally don't want him kick, returning kicks um, because of the, you know, the punishment that that can take, especially kickoffs. And obviously there are not a lot of kickoff returns, as many kickoff returns as there used to be with the newer rules. But yeah, so I mean, if they envision a bigger role for, if they're keeping Duvernay at this point and they envision a bigger role, then, you know, Hill taking some of that, um, you know, some of that workload off of Duvernay is, is another, you know, is another angle perhaps. Now, about a week ago, the Ravens were over the cap. They got had to be in compliance yesterday, as we said, on March 15th at 4 p.m. Let's talk about some of the moves that the Ravens made to help them be, get into cap compliance and then land at this $3.7 million cap figure that they're at today. Yeah, so obviously the big one was, was um, well, there were two big ones. Trading Chuck Clark, first off, um, created $4.1 million in cap space. And then uh, releasing um, uh, Calais Campbell, um, obviously that was seven million. So right there, those two. Uh, well, uh, actually, I guess the Hill move doesn't. I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, Clark move doesn't get them under the cap because that that um, cap space only um, came into play after the start of the new league year. But uh, so the 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 Campbell seven million dollars, and then uh, redoing uh, the deals for Pierce. And um, Zeitler and the other one, which is escaping my mind right now. Um, so and those. Pierce, um, <laughs> gosh, that's terrible. Um, come back to you. Yeah, it will. Um, so that, you know, so the three, um, obviously, Clayus Campbell was seven million right off the top. Uh, then you they redid Zeitler. Um, Gus Edwards. There it is. Gus Edwards. And Pierce and the interesting thing to those moves. So those both, both Pierce and uh, um, Gus Edwards took pay cuts, actually, um, and that they, they can earn back through incentives. And then Zeitler's was just accounting, just moving money around. He still gets the same amount of money. Uh, but they actually used void years for the first time um, in, in their history. Um, and they didn't do it. You know, it's not a huge uh outlay it's not a huge um effort there but it is something they hadn't used before but you know and I, i've said before you know teams that used have used void years in the past couple of years weren't doing it because it was some newfangled awesome creative way of, of cap accounting it, they were doing it because they needed to um they absolutely they, they you know it was a way of creating cap space to stay afloat and to do things that they you know what the teams want to do in the off season as far as update you know up, upgrading their roster so uh, void years um like i said something new for them but it also shows that they are willing to do that so if there isn't you know I'm, we'll get into it later i'm sure but if they're you know if there's an offer sheet out there for lamar uh that they need to match they're they're showing their willingness to do so and i think they're i think that's noticed to the world so to speak or at least 31 other teams that you know we're willing to do things we haven't done in the past in order to uh, match any offer that comes along for Lamar. Ryan, if you could, for the benefit of our listeners, walk us through these voidable options, and I guess we could focus on how it worked with Michael Pierce since that was the first time they've used it in their history. So talk about what those voidable options do for the Ravens. What are the pros? What are the cons of such a strategy? Sure. So I'm going to I'm going to use Zeitler uh, as the better example, just because it, it has a bigger impact. Um, so Zeitler was due six point five million in base salary um, this this year on the last year. And this would have been the last. Well, it still is kind of the last year of the deal. So what they did is they took that six point five million. They reduced it down to uh, the min veteran minimum. And then they gave him a signing bonus. The problem and the, the thing about the signing bonus, this is the way you would do a, what we call a simple restructure as well. And then that signing bonus is uh, prorated over the remaining years of the deal. Now, when you do that with somebody like Ronnie Stanley or, or, or Marlon Humphrey, you're, that, that new signing bonus is spread out over three or four years. Um, but with Zeitler, he was in the last year of his deal. So there's no, it, and there was technically no years to spread that out over. So 
what they did is they add they added four void years. So now you can spread that that um, uh, that amount out over those five years. The problem that creates is next year when he's out of contract, there is going to be almost four point three million in dead money under his name. Um, so it creates four point three million this year. But you've got to, you know, you're just basically kicking the can down the road. So next year, uh, now, if they, if they re-sign him before then, then those prorations, basically a little over a million each year, will stay in place. But if, if they don't extend him before the contract voids, um, then they get hit with that $4.3 million in dead money. So it, it's not a great thing. You know, um, now... You'd rather see him extended. I don't know why they didn't extend him. Maybe he said, "I'm not sure I want to play after this year." Maybe he said, "I don't want an extension." Maybe you know he said, "I'll you know I want to see where this team is going. I want to see what's going on with Lamar." So you know, next year if Lamar's back and I want to play, you know, we'll work on an extension and we can you know we can avoid some of the damage, quote unquote, from these void years. But if not, then again, they would take a 4.3 million dollar hit in dead money. So the void year, the problem with void years is while it spreads it out over a period of years, depending upon how many years are yet you tack on, it it all hits in the following year. Whereas in a, whereas a restructure, it would be split up, like I said, with Stanley and Humphrey, that amount gets split up over the remaining years, assuming a player stays. Obviously, the player gets cut, then it kind of has the same effect. So um, that's the problem with void years. If you want to look at the Eagles have, have used a lot of void years in the past couple of years. The Eagles have over 50 million in dead money on their cap this year on a $225 million cap. That's a huge amount. So, and that's, that's, I mean, they were granted that it seems like they were able to keep, well, they kept Bradbury and they kept Slay. I'm sure they're using void years again but it's just like restructures you use void years and you got to keep doing it um and now i guess teams are hoping the you know the explosion of the cap will will save them um but it's it's still while the ravens used it it's still not a good thing they i it, you know there's there's about 6.6 million i think between the three the what the three players that they use the void years so it's not the end of the world it's not 50 million like the like the eagles and not all that 50 million is due to void years granted but a lot of it is so so that's the 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 pros and cons of void years yes you create space and it's a way of creating more space because you're adding years on to to spread out those prorations which means you save more in the in any in this year but it does create problems for 24 like i said they've already between the three players who you know all three very well between pierce and zeitler and and Gus Edwards, they all very well may not be here next year. Uh, and then there's going to be 6.6 uh, or so million in dead money from those guys that didn't exist before that. Brian, besides the result re revolving door with or resolving the, the Lamar Jackson dilemma, and we'll get into more of that in a bit, but besides trying to resolve that, most fans would like to see the Ravens add to their wide receiver room. I know that Eric DaCosta and John Harbaugh both committed to fixing that wide receiver room. It's something that we've been talking about for forever, it seems. And, and perhaps even adding a corner, a veteran corner, to replace Marcus Peters or maybe bringing Marcus Peters back. But to do that, they'll have to create more space to prepare for in-season needs and, of course, the NFL draft. So how can they get that done? What players would you target if you were Eric DaCosta to restructure to create more cap space. Yeah, so there's about eight players that they can restructure, starting with Stanley and Humphrey at the top, which can create seven and a half million and seven point three million, all the way down to Morgan Moses and Patrick McCarry, who can create about one point four million each. If they do what we call simple restructures, which is just again spreading, giving them reducing their salary down to the minimum giving them a signing bonus for the difference and spreading that out over the remaining years of the deal. So not using void years, they can create about 26 million. Um, but they have to be cognizant. Obviously, as you said, there's those future expenses. 
And they have to be cognizant of a team coming along and, you know, putting in an offer sheet for Lamar. So, um, you know, so obviously I, I do think they're going to do something at wide receiver in the free agent market, whether or whether it's a trade or as well. Um, I mean, they need to get a veteran guy in here. Obviously, you know, they're going to um, not I don't know if rely is the right word, but they're going to somewhat count on Bateman being healthy next year and coming back and being the guy they want. But obviously, otherwise, the receiver room is is very thin. You know, Demarcus Robinson could seemingly could return uh, to be, you know, fill that third or fourth role. But they obviously need somebody on the opposite side of Bateman. And if Duvernay's here, maybe Duvernay in the slot, I would think they'll draft somebody as well. But certainly I think, uh, you know, they've got the flexibility. And to be honest with you, if you're trying to talk Lamar into staying and getting everything resolved, giving him a true number one is a, certainly a good way of uh, showing good faith, whatever you want to call it, to say, hey, you know, we, we've addressed the situation. We've got the we've got the horses for it now. And, uh, you know, let's get a deal done. And so you'll be here long term because you see what we've got surrounding him. Now, let's get to the I'll call it the purple elephant in the room, Lamar Jackson. Now, Recently, I had a conversation with Steve Bishotti, and one of the things we obviously talked about would, was Lamar Jackson. And at the time we spoke, which was a little over two weeks ago, Brian, it seemed to me that the Ravens were leaning towards using the exclusive tag on Lamar and not the non-exclusive. But some things happened during that two-week period since my conversation with Steve and one of those things, I, I know he brought the Giants situation up specifically, worried about maybe the Giants making a play for Lamar. And if that were to happen, I think they had, what, the 24th or 25th pick in this year's draft. And the thought was that, well, with Lamar, they would get better. So the, the other pick in 2024 would be a pick that's even further down the totem pole. And, and therefore, the present value of that, late first round pick might be an early second round pick this year. So those were the kinds of things he was going through in his mind. I'm sure he and and Eric and John and Ozzy were all talking about these kinds of things when they were down in Florida, having their, their meeting heading into the off season, but they, they moved from that exclusive position to a non-exclusive position. He said to me, it was a calculated move because he felt, or they felt, that given the changes in the marketplace during that two-week stretch and the fact that the non-exclusive was, what, about $13 million less expensive than the exclusive tag, that they could field a better team with that added cap space. So I just wanted to get your take on the non the use of the non-exclusive tag versus the exclusive tag at this point in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, once they went non-exclusive, I, I you know, I've, I have to assume they've obviously tested the market, um, looked around, looked at who the suitors would be. Um, I, I do believe that um, they feel, and by going non-exclusive, I think they do are showing teams around the league that, hey, you know, you want to come and negotiate a deal with Lamar for us, we're going to match it. And they've positioned themselves. Um, and I think, unfortunately, you know, re releasing a guy like Calais Campbell and getting that seven million in cap savings um, and, and showing, again, using void years that, you know, we have to. We're going to do everything we can to, within reason, obviously, to keep Lamar. So if you're going to, you know, structure a, a, an offer sheet that you're going to try to make it hard for us to, to match this year. We're, we're, you know, we're going to we're going to create the space and we're going to do it. So I, I think that's the first thing. And then, as you said, you're look, you they looked at the teams and OK, well. If there's an offer sheet and, you know, right now, you know, the, the I guess we'll say the most likely or most possible teams um, would be Atlanta, would be the Colts now that they've released Ryan. Um, those are teams that have top 10 picks. So, um, you know, I think they're saying, OK, well, if, if push comes to shove, we, we don't want to lose him for the 24th pick this year. Now, they could always try to work out a trade for different terms than the two first round picks. There's some 
confusing language, to be honest with you, in the CBA um, after reviewing it several times and reading through it and trying to make sense of it. It, it does say that you cannot trade for more than the two first round picks for a player who is subject to the tag. But my reading of that would be if Lamar signed the tag, then he's not, then he's not, he's under the contract. Then he's not subject to the tag anymore. Cause it's not the tag. It's an actual contract at that point. Um, so I think they could make, you know, they could make a different deal potentially, but if it did, if the other team says, well, we're just going to put an offer sheet in, um, as opposed to saying to the Ravens, look, we don't want you to match. So what's it going to take above the two first round picks for you to agree to trade him? Um, you know, so if it is the first, if it is just the first two picks, obviously they want a high pick and those teams are, you know, those teams are in the top 10. So, um, you know, I think they, they clearly, you know, they did their, their due diligence. They, they feel that there's nobody out there that's going to make an offer that they, um, can't match unless somebody makes them an offer <laughs> that they can't refuse as far as you know however many draft picks that would take um the one i guess the commanders is probably the team the other team that would be concerning because they're they pick what like 16 15 somewhere in that range um and that may be not high enough of a pick and obviously you have the baltimore and dc thing uh in there as well so um you know so but i i think yeah i mean i think they've they 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 done they've done their calculus, uh, so to speak, and they don't feel that I mean that anybody, uh, I mean the Texans I guess are another team that could come out of the woodwork, but it's the number two pick, and then maybe that's worth it because then you're getting one of the two top two quarterbacks uh, in the draft. It's early in the process, although it doesn't feel that way because we've been talking about Lamar's contract forever. It seems like, but but there are no offers so far for Lamar. And some suggest that that's collusion. And I'm not so sure because signing Lamar based upon his recent injuries, missing the most important games of the last two seasons, lack of development as a passer, and some whispers about a questionable level of commitment to the game, make him less than a slam dunk signing, particularly when he's asking for so much money. Now, you, you mentioned some of the other teams, the Falcons, the Commanders, the Colts. And we can dive into that if you want. But based upon the lack of activity so far, do you buy into the notion that some of the former players, current players, NFLPA are suggesting that there's collusion going on amongst the owners? Yeah, I mean, collusion is really, really hard to to prove because it's 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 not just we all decided separately. It's got to be proof that they you know teams got together and conspired to say we're not going to give him an offer um i do find that a bit hard to believe i think uh, you know and we've we've discussed this before him not having an agent makes a huge difference in this process um because the agent would already know would have known you know two months ago who who might make an offer you know who might be interested uh, whether they're willing to top the Ravens and, you know, and it's certainly, again, it, I didn't mention it, but I think part of the Ravens calculus is they feel they've got the best offer on the table and nobody's going, you know, nobody's going to go there anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, you know, people pointed out, well, why are all these teams announcing immediately after the tag was placed that they are not interested in Lamar? Well, those weren't teams announcing those were reporters going to team sources who, who said, you know, I don't think we're interested, all right? But that doesn't mean, you know, I mean, it takes one owner to go to the general manager and say, hey, I want Lamar. And then the football people don't have a choice anymore. It's like, okay, we're interested now. So, um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I, I you know, I, if he had an agent, you might never know, granted, that, that a team is interested because just because there's not an offer sheet doesn't mean teams aren't interested. But, but I, you know, we may not know. Teams, will, we, you know, the Colts may contact Lamar directly, say, "What are you looking for?" And he says, "Fully guaranteed." And they say, "No thanks." I mean, I don't think any team is interested in doing fully guaranteed. So right there, that's not that's not collusion. That's this is the way we do contracts. This is the way we've always done contracts. The next guy gets a little more than the last guy, and you know, 
to be honest with you, the way the cap is written right now, it may it fully a bunch of fully guaranteed contracts are going to become problematic. Uh, it seems to me the players association needs to in the next CBA, which granted is until 2029, needs to figure out some sort of exception or so to speak. You know, the NBA has all kinds of exceptions in their CBA. Um, and I think that that's where the fully guaranteed contracts um, come from, because they, they that way, if there's a catastrophic injury or something along those lines, then, you know, the team isn't stuck with 150 million on their cap with for a player who can't play. The NFLPA has been heavily involved because of the lack of an agent. And the contract terms were leaked by Adam Schefter and other people got a hold of them. And, you know, I've heard some things that, you know, Ryan Clark works for ESPN and he's well-connected with Damari Smith and the NFLPA and that maybe he got a hold of these numbers. But just a general question – if the NFLPA has those numbers, because I'm sure what's happened with Lamar is when he gets an offer from the Ravens, he takes it back to them because they're kind of acting as his agent. Can they do, do those numbers become public knowledge to the other owners as well? Um, no, I mean, if it's if it's going to the no, I mean, you know, that, that that's a negotiation between the Ravens and, and Lamar. So the other owners aren't getting that kind of information. Um, on all just an offer um now obviously if it once becomes public the way it has then the other owners know um now and, could, you know there might be the situation where now that those numbers are are public and let's say they put some stock in those numbers could those numbers based upon all the things i just said about lamar and his tricky situation could those numbers alone keep people uninterested Sure. I mean, sure. Now, you know, and, and it's it's those numbers. It's putting up, you know, what at least two two first round picks. Um, and those numbers were back from September. So uh, and those numbers don't totally make sense now because he was still under contract for another year. So that essentially was a five year extension. So it was a six year deal, six years in total. So now the question is, do the you know, are the Ravens, do the Ravens still want six years? Are they making offers based on six years? Or are they making offers based on the five years and working off of what that offer was back then? Uh, my guess is they've thrown all kinds of stuff out. You know, maybe they've thrown a three-year deal or a four-year deal trying to, you know, okay, so you're not going to get $230 million fully guaranteed because it's only three years, but we'll give you a big number fully you know, guaranteed up front on three-year deal. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think they've they probably tried all kinds of things. And I think the numbers have probably, you know, um, gone up a little. It was 50 million per year on that offer. Maybe it's 52 or 53. And the I because knowing that there are going to be three other big contracts with with Hertz and Burrow and and um, um, the guy in L.A., I can know Herbert. Um, so, you know, so that they know that, you know, there's probably going to have to be a, a, a number go up because, to be honest with you, once those guys sign, those that, that 50 is not going to be 50 anymore. It's going to be 52 or 53 or 55. So. So, yeah, I mean, I think they've probably thrown a lot of things where the present offer is. I would I would imagine the present offer is more than that now, whether the guarantees have come up, uh, whether the injury guarantees or the fully guaranteed. My guess is that. And it's purely a guess, but in an effort to try to get things done, I would have to think that 133 is high. That one fully guaranteed is a higher number now. I don't think they've stuck to that. I mean, in you may not granted you're somewhat negotiating against yourself, but my guess is that numbers come up. Yeah, you know, I've been told that there have been times when Eric DaCosta has had meetings with Lamar, and they've ended those meetings in a very upbeat way, upbeat manner, only to find the next day when they think they can move along and get a deal done that Lamar has the behavior of a player or a person who wasn't even aware of what they had talked about the day before. It's almost as if he took it back to the NFLPA. This is what they're offering. He seemed happy with it. They said, don't do it. And, and so they don't don't they don't get it done. But let's talk about those guarantees that you were just mentioning, Brian. The 
100, you know, we've heard these numbers, 133 million fully guaranteed. Let's just say that that's the number today. I know you said that they're probably higher now, but the 133 million fully guaranteed. Then there was another number of 175 million in guarantees and then a $200 million number. I assume that those other numbers kick in as a result of either injury or that he's on the roster the next year. Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. So the, the way Schefter explained it was, was I mean, all these different reports have been leaving, you know, that we've heard since September. They, they have part of the story and they, you know, they're lacking part of the story. But when you put them all together, it, it's all kind of the same thing. And given the way the Ravens have done contracts with Stanley and Humphrey and 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 Andrews, their big contracts, so to speak. Um, they all have had, obviously, you know, so Lamar, full, 133 fully guaranteed. There's enough that, so that's usually the first three years of the deal. In some case, some of their other deals, it's been just the first two, but obviously this is a much bigger deal and it's a quarterback. So that's generally fully guaranteeing the first three years of the deal. Then the four and the injury guarantees would cover the fourth year or maybe into the fifth year. Now, again, remember, this was over. This was going to be spread out over six years when this went back in September. So um, so that that's a variable in it, too. So um, but then you have what are called vesting guarantees or I, uh, um, uh, Schefter called them springing guarantees, but they're 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 called vesting guarantees. So that means if you're if he's on the roster first day of the league year of the third year. Again, the first three years are fully guaranteed. If he's on the roster that first year, first day, then the fourth year, so they'd have to cut him before making the, the fourth year then becomes fully guaranteed. So if they didn't want it to become fully guaranteed, if they didn't want that fourth year to become, which is already injury guaranteed, but would convert to a full guarantee. So if they did not want that to fully become fully guaranteed, they'd have to cut him before the first day of the third year. But given the amount of signing bonus that's going to be involved and the amount of because generally there's going to be an option bonus in the second year. So given the amount of dead money that would accrue after, you know, before the first year hits, it would be I mean, it would be catastrophic because you're probably looking at a 60 million dollar bonus. You're looking at a um, you're probably looking at another 20 to 30 million dollar option bonus. So, you know, it would be, you know, 50, 60, 70 million in dead money if they cut him at that point. Well, that's not going to happen. So that fourth year is essentially guaranteed. While it's not on paper fully guaranteed, it is essentially fully guaranteed. I think that was the point Schefter was trying to make that I, that some people didn't want to hear. But and then the, and they could have the same thing for the fifth year if he's on the if he's on the roster the fourth uh, first day of the fourth year, then the fifth year becomes, you know, fully guaranteed. So you can, you know, and to be honest with you, by the time he gets to the third or fourth year, they're probably redoing the deal anyway, um, because the quarterback numbers by then will gone through the roof. And I mean, that's the way these deals often happen is you never, most quarterbacks never play out the, the five years or the six years or whatever it is, and then sign a new contract after that six year or even by the six year or fifth year whatever the last year of the deal is so it is i mean you know the, for for the team's perspective and obviously there's the escrow issue um which i don't think is really an issue for the ravens but some teams it could be but you know um you know the big it's just that fully guaranteed and you have that catastrophic injury or the play the play of the player and we're certainly not expecting it but the play of the player decreases so much that you're stuck with a guy you don't want anymore or you or a guy that in a, in a case of an injury who can't play anymore and now you're stuck with the you know the 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 balance of the deal after that that you, you got to deal with in some way as dead money you brought up a really interesting point in that and this kind of speaks to the value of an agent if lamar had an agent and he's looking at this deal, he's probably saying the exact same thing you said, Brian, which is after year three, if he performs like he believes he's going to perform, like the Ravens believe he's going to perform, the Ravens have the success as the team that they think they can have with Lamar, that they're recasting this deal anyway. An agent could school and guide him and say something like, you know what, Lamar, 
we get into this in year four, I'm going to be looking to the Ravens to try to get an extension done for you anyway. So yeah. those that's the kind of mentoring and guidance he's not getting because the NFLPA, I, I, I've been criticized for using this word, but I'm going to use it again. They're using Lamar as a pawn to get to what this Damari Smith wants to get for all his constituents, which is more and more guaranteed deals. And he's, he's a pawn in this whole process and he's losing out on a deal or he's skipping out on a deal right now. That's a really attractive deal based upon marking conditions that do not include Deshaun Watson. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there's another perspective on this too is, uh, and I think, First time I saw somebody mention this was was Joe Banner, the former president of the Eagles and the Browns. And he mentioned that Lamar has missed out on millions of dollars if he had signed back when Josh Allen signed. Now, we don't know what the offers were at that point, but if he signs there and even if it's 43 million per year as opposed to, you know, what he might get at 50, 51, 52, 53, whatever it might be, whenever he does get around to signing you know but he's lost three years of that money now granted he's he, you know so last year it was 23 but that's you know that's 20 million less on average this year it's 32 so it's 10 million but the year before that third year he made a what million and a half um you know and that would have been you know that big signing bonus so that's money you know he's still gonna at some point he's gonna get paid and he's gonna get paid handsomely whether it's here or somewhere else but those those these last three years, he's never going to get that money back. Um, and again, as we just said, if if this was the third or fourth, you know, if he did sign back then, you know, and by next year or the year after, he's going to get redone anyway because Burrow's going to come. In, you know, if he's at forty three, Burrow's coming in at fifty five, or you know, or, or Hurts at fifty two, and then all the quarterbacks will be like, okay, well, it's time to get my deal redone because you know, and that's just the way the the you know the process works. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, he's lost out on the money and I agree. I just I do think the PA is the culprit here. And, uh, you know, they're not they're, they're they're so focused on fully guaranteed because in Lamar, you know, Lamar is the test case. Um, Watson's the outlier. But if Lamar gets it, then he then it is a precedent. Lamar's the precedent. I don't think Watson's the precedent. Lamar would be the precedent. And then the other guys after that have every right to ask for it, uh, because I don't think that right now I don't think Burrow or or Herbert or 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 Hertz are getting fully guaranteed. That's not the way the Eagles work, and the other two teams, it's certainly not the way they work. And you know, their family-run teams, it's it's really harder for them to to put that kind of money together. Jeffrey Lurie and and Steve Bishotti, their wealth was not the team. Um, you know, the other guys there, what, you know, the, the Browns and the, the Spanos family, any, any money that they have to put into escrow is coming out of their pocket. It's really not coming out of Bashadi's pocket. He's not taking money from this team. His, his wealth is, is set separately. And then the team is his investment. And ultimately when it's sold, that's, that's his return. And when you mentioned the Browns, you're talking about Mike Brown and his family with the Bengals. Yes. I'm sorry. In Cincinnati. Yes. Okay. So, with respect to Lamar and his cap figure as it stands for now, if he plays under the non-exclusive franchise tag, is $32.4 million. If he were to execute the deal that Schefter has been putting out there for everyone to, to examine, if that was the deal, what would Lamar's cap hit be in 2023? Yeah, so I mean, I my guess is, I mean, obviously you can structure it all kinds of different ways, but my guess is that that cap number would probably come in in the uh, 20 to 30 million range. So they could create, you know, that would lessen the 32.416 that he's under right now. So it would just be, I mean, it depends on when it happens. Uh, you know, if it happens now, they would probably reduce that down to closer to 20. Uh, if it happens in July, once free agency is over and they don't need the cap space, quote unquote, they pro probably would bring that number in closer to where the 32 is because they basically created their budget based on the 32 at that point. So that way they don't have to they can front load it a little more from a cap perspective and they don't have to backload the, the later number, you know, the later years 
um, with bigger numbers, they would they would kind of flatten that out a little more um, because, again, by July, they, they've you know, they've worked their budget based on that 32 million number. And they say, OK, well, we've got enough cap space to get through the season and injuries. And, you know, so we don't really need to create cap space because we're you know, we're not signing anybody major in July. Okay, well, let's assume that they did want to sign a big-time receiver if, if one became available on the market or by trade or, or what have you. As an example, Roquan Smith's cap figure for 2023 is what? Uh, he's about $8 million, I think. Let me okay. look that up for sure. But, yeah, I think he's at $8 million. So he's he's at $8 million. That was a big deal on paper, right? That he, he right. signed so twenty million a year. Yeah. So he's at nine. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. So nine million. So let's. So if if they structured Lamar's deal as it's been put out there by Schefter, and they structured it in a way that it comes in at let's say twenty three million dollars this year, there's there's nine million right there off the budget of thirty two, right? That right. nine million could be used for a, an expensive receiver. Just to put things in perspective, how important. Oh, yeah, I mean they could. I mean let's. I mean it, let's say Lamar gets a sixty million dollars signing bonus, which I think is pretty much right in the range it would be. Um, it that that would prorate over five years, so that counts twelve million on the cap. I mean in theory they could they could then give him a minimum base salary, which would be just a little over a million. So I mean they could get that cap number all the way down if they wanted to. To thirteen million, so then you're saving almost twenty million against the cap from where he is right now. Now I don't know that they would go that low because that's going to make in the latter years that's going to make a you know seventy million dollar cap number. Now I you know they know better than we do what the cap was projected to be, uh, you know in twenty not twenty twenty nine for instance, which would be the latter years of of any deal for Lamar. Maybe 70 million as a cap number isn't too crazy. Sounds crazy right now, obviously. But if the cap is 300 million or over by then, then maybe 70 million, you know, doesn't sound so bad. Um, so but they 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 obviously know better than we do as far as, you know, to project out that far. So maybe they do take it down that far. But, you know, if you do, if you lose, if you use Roquan Smith, which is a hundred million uh, deal, if we take that and multiply that by two and a half, which would be 250, which would be the numbers we're taught we've been talking about with Lamar. So that nine million becomes what about 22 and a half, I think, if I did the math in my head real quickly. Yes, so sir. if they use that exact structure and just multiply it by two and a half, then that gives them a $22 million cap number. Um, you know, so if they that that's kind of, you know, and then on the back end doing the math that would put that back end cap number about 70 million it looks like um so a base again based just on uh roquan's um it would be it'd be less than that it'd be in the 60s um so you know so they can get it down i mean i don't think like i said i don't think they're going down to 13 but i think in that 20 25 uh if they did it if it if it happens now <laughs> it's got to happen now like i said later I, th I think they would keep it closer to 30. Brian, what does your gut tell you that the ultimate outcome of this is going to be for 2023? Unfortunately, I think Lamar is not going to get the offers he wants. Um, I don't think anybody's going to sign him to an offer sheet. I do think it would be it would be helpful if somebody yeah, I actually want him to talk to teams. <laughs> I really want him to go out there and talk to teams because uh, and and maybe even get an offer sheet. Now, it, it, that offer sheet may make it difficult for the Ravens in 23, but if Lamar signs an offer sheet, he knows the Ravens can match it. So, and it, so he's, you know, he's going to have to like it, uh, like it enough that either way, I, whether I end up here or I end up there, you know, it's the deal I want. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid he's not going to get the offer he wants. I don't think he, you know, I'm afraid he's not going to get an offer that it's going to be substantially better than what the Ravens have offered. So unfortunately, I feel like we're going to he and, you know, I can see him saying, fine, I'll just I mean, he's bet on himself before um, he may say, OK, well, I'm going to sit here and see what happened. I'll play on the tag. I'll see what happens with Burrow and Herbert and and Hertz. Now, I, that may benefit the Ravens because they may not get fully guaranteed. But I could see him I could see him playing on the tag again this year. And we're talking about this stuff just like we have for January, February. 
and March next year. Unfortunately, I agree with you, and I, I see him playing under the tag. So let's let's talk about some of the implications of the tag and playing under that. What what is the deadline to reach a long term deal, Brian? So that is July eighteenth this year. Um, it is usually July fifteenth, um, or is it the seventeenth? Maybe it's the seventeenth. I think I the fifteenth is the fifteenth is a Saturday. Um, so uh, they they always kind of like a lot of things Monday that the following Monday is the deadline. So I guess it's the seventeenth. Um, I don't know why I had eighteenth in my mind. Um, so the seventeenth is the deadline for a, a long term deal. If he doesn't sign a long term deal here or somewhere else by that date, then he ha- can only play under the tag. Is there a deadline to sign the tag? Um, yeah, see, well, I mean, there's a, I mean, yes and no, if he doesn't sign by, I think it's week 10, which is early November, uh, he can't sign. So he has to sit out the year. So he can show up. He could sit out till week 10, sign the tag, come in, play for, you know, the prorated part, which would be, uh, seven week or eight weeks after that. I mean, it depends on when the buy is, um, but it, uh, it, yeah. So then he would only get paid that much. But that means he's given up twenty million in salary if he's not if he doesn't show up till then. Obviously, sits out the whole season. He's passing up thirty two million. Do you think there's a possibility he can do that? I would be surprised. I mean, obviously, Lamar. You know, he's got his own. You know, goes to the beat of his own drummer. Um, I, I find it hard to believe for a guy who has who's made. R- roughly 30 million um only 30 million i know that's kind of funny to say <laughs> uh, but only 30 million to pass up 32 um now that doesn't mean he won't he'll show up for otas obviously he didn't even do that last year you know he may not show up till the week before the season starts um which is obviously problematic in all kinds of ways as well um but you know i mean uh, you know uh, that's a risk for him too if he shows up in in August and doesn't play well or gets hurt because he's not, you know, in football shape, quote unquote, whenever he does play, you know, then does that, how does that affect his market value next year? Um, so I, I don't, if he sits out, you know, he will get a, he, that, that he will, it would still be a second tag next year, even though he sat out. So there would be, you know, 120% bump or it would depend on, uh, what the what the tag is next year, you know, what, which tag they use again, as we've discussed and discussed and discussed over the last cu- couple of months. Um, I don't see I don't see him sitting out till week 11. I think he'll show up now again. He's got to make the decision. Can I hit the ground running if I show up? You know, because it's a new offense, too. So, it, you know, if he looks terrible because he doesn't know the offense or, he's getting, you know, uh, that that's that's problematic for him. I know most people think that's what will happen. And I think that is probably what will happen. But I there's there's a lot of risk there for him as well by not showing up, at least for the beginning of training camp. You know, the market value for Lamar is probably not as great this year as it would have been last year. And the reason I say that is because. He didn't develop as a passer as much as people would have liked to have seen. And he's also missed December and January games for the last two years. To add to that, these kinds of things, I think, is only detrimental to him long term. So it, it remains to be seen. We do, I, I agree with you there, too. I think he'll show up and play under the franchise tag. But just to clarify for the benefit of our listeners, Lamar is not paid a dime until he signs that franchise tag. True or false? Correct. So if he doesn't show up to week again, you know, so if he doesn't show up for week one, um, then the Ravens will get one eighteenth of the thirty two million. Um, so it's, you know, a little less than two million. They would get an immediate cap credit for that. So, you know, that Monday or Tuesday after the first week, uh, their cap space, whatever it would be at that time, would go up. I whatever it would be, one point eight million, one point seven, whatever that number would be. Same thing the next week. Same thing the next week uh, until he signs. And obviously, if he doesn't sign at all and doesn't show up at all, then by the end of the year, they would have whatever their cap space would be plus thirty two million, which they could roll into the following year. Um, which 
in one way would be great because they'd have a ton of cap space, but in another way, again, you're, which would make it easy for them to tag Lamar the following year. Obviously it wouldn't be a cap space issue. And, um, and maybe they can go the exclusive tag then because they've already got, you know, a, a bonus of quote unquote of 32 million on their cap plus whatever cap space they would have otherwise. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. I don't know that it, I don't know that it benefits him. And again, we've already, you know, I mentioned earlier the money he's lost already by not getting a deal done, you know, in the last couple of years, that's, that's giving up another 32 million again, that he would never get back. The continuing saga of Lamar Jackson. So Brian, thanks for your time. Hey, any, any plans for St. Patrick's day? Um, no, we got, we got plans, um, Saturday night, but, um, there's a, uh, there's a good band playing locally here in Catonsville, um, um, carbon leaf. Um, so I'm thinking about maybe hitting that, um, and maybe obviously catching some of the, the tournament, uh, you know, uh, cause I don't have time this afternoon to catch any games, but maybe try to get out a little early tomorrow. How about you? We're heading down to the beach, but the weather's not supposed to be very good down there. Not that we were oh, going yeah. to on the beach, but we were just going to be bouncing around to different places like Secrets and, and Fagers for St. Patrick's Day. I know they had their big celebration last weekend down on the beach, but uh, yeah, so that's when I'll be bouncing around doing that, and, and we'll see where it lands. But this will surprise you. I gave up alcohol for Lent. Oh. So... That's oh, wow. However, I did hear that the Archbishop gave dispensation for St. Patrick's Day. All right, there you so go. So I got a free, I got a free spot on the bingo card. We got a hall pass, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Anyway, on behalf of Brian McFarland and myself, Tony Lombardi with Russell Street Report, thanks for listening. This has been the front office brought to you by Royal Farms. Royal Farms is featuring 12 pieces of chicken, of their world-famous chicken, for just $20. Royal Farms chicken, real fresh, never frozen. Thanks again, Brian. Thank you.